Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy, Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. Welcome, everybody. My name is Professor Daniel Reich, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Amal Mohammed Al-Maiki, founding dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Hamid bin Khalifa University, one of Georgetown University's neighbors and the only public university in education city. Thank you, Amal, for being with us today. Thank you, Daniel. Lovely to um, be with you today as well. In previous podcasts and blog posts, we have looked at the situation of Qatari female athletes. In today's episode, our scope goes beyond sport, and we want to generally discuss which progress women have made in Qatar prior to the FIFA World Cup 2022 and which challenges remain. Amal, this is my first question for you. Uh, with an own stadium in Education City, the World Cup will put the global spotlight on the Education City universities and its accomplishments. Before we talk specifically on gender issues, what is from your point of view Education City's contribution to the advancement of Qatari society? Interesting. Um, I, I believe that there are many, to say the truth, and it's difficult to list them all, um, especially that Education City has been um, um, yeah, is 25 years um, plus old. Um, but I would like to maybe highlight some of uh, those achievements and maybe shed light on some that weren't um, a common knowledge. Um, Education City has contributed to the reform um, in K-12 and higher education through a hybrid approach. And what I mean by a hybrid approach is actually getting the international standard, the international curricular, um, but still uh, localizing it within the context that, that is Qatar. Um, Education City helped in reinventing social and cultural practices through the last uh, 25 years and has and still uh, uh, introducing new um, methods and approaches um, and approaches um, uh, issues that are at the heart of our progress as a nation. For example, negotiating identity, um, uh, promoting um, um, languages uh, and language learning, and of course, Arabic uh, at the core, uh, civil responsibility and citizenship. Those are at the core of what makes a society want to a progress um, and, and do it um, properly, I guess. Um, again, you know, you can say that um, Education City is a catalyst in promoting diversity and inclusion. Uh, it connected uh, knowledge, production, and research, which happens, of course, among uh, research institutes and, and branch campuses, uh, partner universities, and, uh, and HBKU, but also connected to policymaking. And we see that um, through the establishment of policy centers in um, uh, Education City. So there is an ecosystem that you rarely find uh, anywhere else but in Education City of Qatar. Um, also, I would say a catalyst for SDGs, right? Um, um, anyway, what comes into mind is uh, SDG 1, 5, of course, gender equality, 10 and 17. Uh, I believe it's the only platform that I would say I'm happy to say, actually, for realizing women empowerment uh, in Qatar. Um, Let's talk specifically on, on women empowerment. So a majority of the students in the education city um, are women. Mm -hmm. So uh, which role do you think did education city play for uh, empowerment of women in Qatar? 
Um, many. Um, it, we need to break it down, right? So uh, first of all, it was access to education, not just to education, to quality education. The uh, uh, education is the broad international education, American, uh, British, French education to Qatar, something that we were deprived of having access to, um, um, you know, um, long time ago, my generation was deprived actually from traveling abroad and, and obtaining scholarships to uh, go to those uh, universities. So we have access to quality education. Um, it, uh, of course, also the, reduce, uh, the reduction of gender discriminations uh, in areas pertaining to education, for sure. And we mentioned access, but also representation in higher education. The number of female faculty, the number of staff, female staff increased drastically in education city because it's a safe ha haven for women. Um, of course, as you said, the number of female students is, is uh, already big and it's in, um, increasing every year. Um, it defied gender roles and disciplines. So all fields and disciplines are open for women in education city, right? We've got more uh, female graduates from Texas A&M than male graduates, believe it or not. So we've got more engineers in Qatar graduating every year than male engineers. And as staff, QF has and is still looking at eliminating areas of uh, discrimination um, in terms of pay gap, in terms of allowances and other areas. And I, I would actually say that I'm very happy with their new maternity uh, leave law and QF that is, uh, and their work, um, uh, work flexibility for women. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh a reality is also that uh, while a majority of students in education city are females, that uh, double the number of Qatari male students and Qatari female students at universities abroad are on government scholarships. How do you explain this gap? So you're saying that the number of male students are much higher, double the female students uh, at universities abroad, right? On government scholarship, yes. Okay, let's flip it and see the positive side of it. So um, in the past, there were many males uh, with very few females abroad on government scholarships uh, because um, there were lack of scholarships, really. There was lack of family approval. Okay, so it's basically institutional and cultural at the same time. Now we have bigger numbers of females, okay, but still not equal to male numbers. I, I agree with that. But it's because that government scholarships have been extended to both. Okay, families also are more open to sending their daughters abroad to study. But this gets better on on the higher levels. Yani, for example, in masters and doctorate degrees, where I think um, we have a bigger number of females than males. So I, I want to see this, you know, positively, really, not um, not the other way around. Yes, and I also would like to add that many of our female students take summer classes on our main campus in Washington, D.C. I think that's also important to mention. Amal, let's talk on a, 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 a report that has been widely discussed over the last months. Uh, human Rights Watch, an international uh, human rights organization, published a report titled Everything I Have to Do is Tied to a Man. And it was on women's rights in Qatar, particularly focusing on the guardianship system. And the report was based on 73 interviews with Qatari women. Uh, women's rights are one of your main research interests. And you were asked to comment the report by some media. 
Um, could you share with us what is the main argument of the report and what is your take on the matter? Uh, sure. Uh, their main argument is that uh, despite the strides that uh, have been taken in terms of women rights in Qatar and the success stories uh, emerging from Qatar, um, uh, there are still policies and practices that are discriminatory against women. Um, they, um, the report included many examples, uh, as you know, some examples pertain to family law and matters related to marriage and divorce. Uh, and uh, they also included issues resulting from institutionalizing male guardianship and issues uh, restricting females' freedom and mobility and etc. Now, my position remains unchanged. Uh, if one woman is negatively impacted by existing policies and practices, then it's enough for us to take a stand and fix it. The report had 73 cases and 50 in-depth interviews. So I think this is a time for us to pause and take this seriously. And I would say that we aren't free as women until we are all free. So no woman, woman should be left behind. That's very powerful what you're saying, Amai. And I mean, you are a Qatari woman yourself, and uh, you you are a dean, you are a role model to many uh, female students in education city and beyond. So what were your own personal experiences with uh, the guardianship system? Um, now, I'm not, uh, although, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled to be um, considered a role model. Um, and everyone knows my stance um, uh, towards this. Um, I think I would like to be a strategic role model where I show um, other women my path and the challenges I went through for them to learn from. But I'm, I'm in no way representative of um, Qatari women because we're very diverse and we're very different and we are subject to different cultural and traditional uh, constraints. Um, I, I was lucky to, um, to have a, um, an open-minded father who actually supported me to travel and uh, pursue my studies. So yes, my father would, uh, I would always need my father's permission to travel. And by the way, back then it was up to, I think I, when I, I graduated at 28 with a PhD and came back to Doha until the last minute, I had to obtain my father's permission. Whereas legally, yeah, by law, it's, it's 25 now. Um, the point is, you know, uh, males do have that condition where their fathers need to um, um, give them permission to travel and permission, you know. So basically guardianship is for anyone who is considered um, either unfit or young, let's say. So it, it's related to age and it, it's related to, you know, your mental capabilities. So let's, let's, let's unify that among men and women. Uh, if a, a man above 21 is considered a full adult, uh, then a woman should be too, right? Uh, this didn't happen through, again, in my generation. Um, there are laws that uh, dictate that, you know, a woman needs uh, the permission of her father up to 25, although I don't agree. But I think what's happening now that the, some of the practices actually defy that law. Uh, where, are, where, where um, as the, the officials in the airport are asking Qatari women for um, permission to travel, even if they were um, above 25 years old. And that's 
that's totally against the law. Um, so I, as I told you, I, I cannot be representative because I was lucky to say the truth that I had men around me who uh, believed in me and who and still believe in me. Uh, not everyone has that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about another uh, interest uh, um, you have in your uh, research, which is uh, representation of Arab women in the media. Um, could you share with us some uh, main insights from, from your research? Uh, yes, um, the book came out in 2012, but I'm really happy that it still um, stands um, as, as a, uh, a comprehensive study on Arab women in the new media. It was among the first books that uh, talked about the woman, Arab woman, or uh, yeah, Arab woman representation. I'll tell you what the problem is with, with, the, with the Arab um, term, uh, but in new media, so basically on the internet. Um, uh, it came as a response to a long tradition and a huge body of literature that reduces and conflates, first of all, between Arab and Muslim, right? So everyone thinks that if you're an Arab, you're a Muslim. And if you're a Muslim, you're an Arab. That's not right. Uh, so we've got lots of Arab women who are not Muslims, uh, belong to a different, um, uh, to a different uh, religious and, and, and faith um, backgrounds. And um, that Western perspective towards Arab and, uh, again, using it interchangeably, uh, Arab, uh, Muslim and Arab woman reduces women to one category, right? So we are um, women from this part of the world need to be safe, okay? Uh, we are submissive, um, we are weak. Um, well, so the book came out and it looks at women representation in Arab online um, news. Um, and I discovered that women are absent from hard news. And, and this is actually a phenomenon, international phenomenon too. And it applies to the Arab world. And that pan-Arab newspapers depict women in a more diverse and, and realistic manner than uh, the news uh, papers or the, uh, the news coming out of, you know, the national news basically, that's coming out of uh, their territories. Um, the study, the qualitative uh, part, yielded um, um, multiple themes. So it extracted the themes under which women come or women reporting come, um, which also uh, was very new and, 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 and a new approach basically towards uh, looking at women and women issues because these themes include stories that uh, within the story would see the diversity of realities. You would you have you would see a woman from a, a wealthy Arab nation that is uh, obtaining the best education in the world, like we are in Qatar, right? But we would you would see a woman who is deprived from that education because she is her whole society, her whole nation is undergoing uh, either a, a civil war or a war like Iraq, like Syria. So you would see all of those waves and all of those examples. And I think this is a testimony to the diversity of realities that Arab women face, had faced, still and still faces um, uh, in, in our world. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. We started more or less at the same time a podcast. So ours is on, on the World Cup and yours is titled Women of the Middle East, which we are producing since September 2020. Uh, what motivated you to uh, launch this uh, podcast and uh, what is its main uh, objective, its main goal, its main focus? 
I would say thank you, COVID-19, to say the truth. It's um, <laughs> really, it changed um, a bit of our mental mood. Um, I thought, you know, as an academic, you think that you would reach out to societies, to intellectuals, through writing. You, you do, but you don't reach out to everyone through your academic writing and books. So I wanted to um, continue what I've done uh, in the book, but in a more uh, modernized and accessible manner. I do still um, uh, talk or target a group of people that I would say educated because I, you know, the podcast is in English after all. Um, it talks about an area that not everyone is interested in, but I'm hoping that in our nations too, as our officials are graduate, have graduated from international universities, speak English, that it would also reach politicians and policymakers. Uh, why did I do it? I, I really want, I, I thought I need to do more. Um, I always speak about activism um, and how uh, I'm proud of my friends who are activists and changing policies and, and being involved in policy making in their own countries. As an academic, this is one of my um, hopes to reach that point. You know, I, I want to embed um, activism um, um, and, um, you know, advocating to uh, for women and for women rights in different formats and in different forms. I guess this is one of the forms I thought about, but I'm enjoying it. Yes, um, and I enjoy my conversation with you, which I want to end uh, with uh, the following question, since the podcast is on, on sports and on the World Cup. And we haven't talked about sports so far, apart from uh, mentioning the Education City Stadium. Um, so which role does sport play in your personal life? And are you excited about the upcoming FIFA World Cup 2022? Um, yes, I'm excited about it. Like I'm excited about other things that will be coming soon, to say the truth. Uh, it's one, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fact that we've been um, uh, looking forward to. Uh, but I wouldn't, um, I don't like the, um, uh, having it as a corner uh, stone to, towards progress. You know, we're not really progressing because of that. Definitely not. We've got QNB 2030. We've got generations of educated um, men and women who want to uh, activate, um, um, uh, you know, uh, change, positive change in, in the society. So yes, definitely uh, excited, but not not too excited, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, sports in my life, again, I, I grew up in the, in the 80s. So uh, sports played a major role in my life up to my teenage years. Okay, when young women were not supposed to be out and about, and when we, we didn't have the venues to perform sports, the sports that we loved. In Qatar, okay, maybe when we traveled, we had that opportunity, but in Qatar, unfortunately, we don't, we didn't. Uh, so I was deprived of, of you know, I, I loved swimming, for example. Um, I really loved sport, sports. I, I thought I was athletic, but anyhow, that didn't happen back then. Um, but another indication of the positive change that ha is happening around us is the number of uh, women athletes, right, in Qatar. And now what I'm trying to do is um, to um, show my daughters, I've got two, uh, that, uh, you know, sports is very important. They're not just mental, you know, mental and physical health. Um, and they're involved in several sports. And, um, 
there's nothing that's going to stop them from pursuing whatever they want. I think we're enjoying water sports the most uh, right now, but I think whatever comes and whatever is available is, is something that we will be trying soon. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Amal. It was terrific talking to you. And mm -hmm. I wish you personally and professionally all the best for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love this and um, uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you very soon and working together.